Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Salmon has always been more than just food for tribes in the West and Northwest. The fish has deep cultural and spiritual ties to many of the tribes living along major waterways. But hydroelectric dams severely disrupted the natural course of salmon. The Winnemum-Wintu people in Northern California lost both their sacred land and salmon runs because of the Shasta Dam. A new multi-part podcast examines the tribe's connections to salmon and their fight to stop an expansion of the dam. We'll find out more about it right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Commemorations were held in Honduras over the weekend to mark seven years since the assassination of Goldman Prize-winning environmental and indigenous rights activist Berta Cáceres. Maria Martin reports that though there have been some convictions in her death, her supporters say the intellectual authors of her murder are still at large. Berta Cáceres had fought for the rights of the indigenous Lenca people of Honduras. No es un crimen defender nuestros propios derechos como pueblos it's no crime to defend our rights as indigenous people, Casares stated before her death, as she fought to stop a hydroelectric dam project she said would disrupt the water and food supply in Lenca communities. In Lenca tradition, she said, the rivers are the home of the mother spirit and must be protected. The former head of a Honduran construction company building the controversial dam, Casares had opposed, was found guilty last year of collaborating in her 2016 murder. Roberto Castillo was also alleged to have hired seven hitmen previously sentenced for her killing. But Berta Cáceres' family and supporters say the intellectual authors of her murder are some of Honduras' most untouchable families and remain outside the law and that seven years after her murder, Honduran environmental activists remain targets. At least four have been killed this year alone. For National Native News, I'm Maria Martin. A bill that would require Montana to pay for the cost of law enforcement services on the Flathead Reservation recently passed through the state Senate. Montana Public Radio's Aaron Bolton reports. In the 1960s, Lake County agreed to provide law enforcement services on the behalf of the state across the Flathead Reservation, but county officials earlier this year pulled out of that agreement, saying county taxpayers can no longer foot the bill, estimated at nearly $5 million annually. Senate Bill 127 would require the state to negotiate funding for law enforcement on the reservation with Lake County every other year. If the parties do not come to an agreement, the state would then be responsible for law enforcement services. Lake County commissioners and officials spoke in favor of the bill last month. They say it would be more costly for the state to hire officers and build local infrastructure than to pay the county to do the work. The legislature passed a bill last session paving the way for the state to pay Lake County for its law enforcement services, but did not appropriate any funds. The bill requiring the state to fund those services now moves to the House for consideration. In Columbia Falls, I'm Aaron Bolton. 
The Chickasaw Nation's Cultural Center is hosting a film festival on Saturday in Sulphur, Oklahoma, to celebrate cultural renaissance through indigenous cinema. Fran Parchcorn is the Chickasaw Cultural Center's executive officer. The film festival is important because it allows us to carry on a form of storytelling, uh, which is important in First American traditions. We're celebrating and uplifting Native filmmakers who are working to preserve our culture. The goal of the Hope of Saatchi Native Film Festival has always been to promote the art of First American cinema through cultural awareness using mass media. Four short documentaries will be showcased, two feature-length documentaries, and the headlining film, Montford, the Chickasaw Rancher. Panel discussions and question and answer sessions with indigenous filmmakers will follow the screenings. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. The Shasta Dam towers more than 600 feet above the valley floor where the Sacramento River flows in Northern California. The reservoir is fed by three major rivers that once had thriving salmon runs. The Winnemum-Wintu is a tribe that has always called the area home. And the famous dam not only cut off their connection to the salmon, but it submerged the land that is so important to their culture and identity. Now the federal government is considering extending the height of the dam, compounding the problem for the tribe. A new podcast, A Prayer for Salmon, explores the Winnemum-Wintu connection to the wildlife and land, and the tribe's fight to halt the dam expansion. Today we'll hear about the tribe and the podcast. We'd also like you to join the conversation. What do you know about the Shasta Dam and other dams that affect salmon? Is your tribe struggling with the effects of man-made environmental disruptions? We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE to share your thoughts and comments on the air. Let's hear a little from the podcast now. This is an excerpt that brings in Chief Sisk, who we're going to hear from in a moment, who gives us an introduction to the issues they're facing. I'd like to introduce everyone to Chief Sisk of the Winnemum-Wintu Tribe. Tour organizer Nick Gray. She advocates for the inclusion of traditional ecological knowledge in federal, state, and local environmental research and planning. So everyone, uh, your attention for Chief Sisk. On the other side of that bridge right there is where our rivers come together. It's late in the afternoon. The sun is low and the wind blows off the lake. Chief Colleen wears her basket hat, beads, and skirt. She starts by calling our attention to the landscape behind her. It's 
the confluence of the Sacramento, the McLeod, and the Pitt River. And uh, for uh, most people, they don't really think about that. You know, what is a confluence? What happens at a confluence where water comes together? And for us, it's a very sacred place. It's a powerful place. It's a place that doesn't exist anywhere else on that river system. These three rivers help define a watershed. The McLeod runs up the middle, a source of Winnemumwintu culture and spiritual traditions. The name Winnemem means middle water. Their ancestors lived there. Their way of life evolved there. But now... We own no land on the McLeod River. All of our sacred places are there that make Winnemum people Winnemum. There's nowhere else in the world that we can go to learn how to be Winnemums, only there. We can't go to Navajo, we can't go to Alaska, we can't go to Cherokee to learn how to be Winnemums. She tells the group indigenous people are hardly represented in Washington, D.C. With few to defend their rights, she's afraid of what will happen if Shasta Dam is built higher. So we'll be saying at that time to our youngsters, right here there was a big dance ground. We used to dance, and down there was a puberty rock, the last puberty rock for our young girls to become women. And it's going to be 60 feet underwater if it, if it happens the way that they want it to. I'm not sure what the solution is, you know, other than um, we fight. That was an excerpt from the podcast, A Prayer for Salmon. We heard from Chief Sisk, as well as narrator Judy Silber, who produced the podcast and who will also be on our show today. Speaking with us now from Redding, California, is Kaleen Sisk. She's the chief of the Winnemum Wintu tribe. Chief Sisk, welcome to Native America Calling. Oh, thank you. It's good to be here. Absolutely. And joining us from Oakland, California, is Judy Silber. She's the executive editor of The Spiritual Edge and a reporter for the A Prayer for Salmon podcast series. Judy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. And joining us while traveling is Dr. Lila June. She is a musician, scholar, and community organizer. She is Dene. Lila, please feel free to further introduce yourself. Well, I'm just a, I'm just another scraggly Navajo. Just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm I'm a I'm Dene. I'm Nanishtajitni uh, clan, and I'm very honored to be here to, in, to stand behind Chief Sisk the best that I can during this this show. All right. Well, looking forward to to learning more uh, about your role, Lila, and also rounding out our show today and joining us from Hoopa, California, is Joseph Orozco. He's the website content coordinator and a member of the advisory board for A Prayer for Salmon, and he's Hoopa. Joseph, welcome back to NAC. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Chief Sick, Chief Sisk, excuse me, please start us off with a little background here. What is the significance of salmon for the Winnemuintu people, and how does Shasta Dam impact that dynamic? Yeah, the... Um... <laughs> The creation story of the Winnemum Wintu people come from inside of Mount Shasta as spirit beings that took form 
and came out of that mountain, left that fire that's inside of that mountain to take care of the world outside that Creator had made. And as we came out, the human was the last one to choose a spiritual, uh, to choose a physical form. And the Creator thought that one, that one's going to need a lot of help. And so he called back the fire spirit and the water spirit and the mountain to help this little um, being that chose to be a physical human. And then the salmon, who had gone out just before, came back and offered his voice for these humans so that they could communicate. And so from that time on, whatever happens to salmon, we believe happens to us. That's how important they are. And when they lost their homes on the McLeod River, so did we. And now that they're almost extinct, so are we. You know, and if we could get them back, then we have a chance. The Shasta Dam right now is and has been an obstacle since it was built. And um, building it higher is a grave mistake for the entire state of California, not just Winnemem. Of course, it'll cover up more than 20 or 40 sacred sites upriver. But that, that dam stands on top of copper smelter mines and nickel mines and iron ore mines that were not covered up. And so the bottom of that lake is pretty much contaminated with that debris that keeps washing down to the dam. And the dam already is very old, probably is at its life expectancy. And they're going to build, you know, a 20 more feet on top of it. I think it's a big mistake for everybody in the entire watershed that um, depends on that water. They, they need to figure out what they're going to do with the debris. And for us, you know, we have lost already 26 miles of our river. We can't really afford to, to lose any more because a lot of the places that we um, utilize now for the tribe is under the lake for part of the year. And when they draw, draw down the water to feed Southern California, then our sacred places come out from under the lake. And we are able to then administer to them and be there with them. Now, Chief Sisk, the issue here, the California droughts, there's there's only so much water, so they want to raise the level of the dam to provide more water to a, a lot of agribusinesses, mostly it sounds like. And about how many feet do they want to, to raise the water level in the dam? It's only 20 feet, but it's less than 600,000 acre feet, which is only a drop in the bucket of what the needs are of California, it would be better if they um, removed the sediments from the bottom of Shasta Lake, and then it would hold more water. Now, the people that are, are, are the decision makers here, legislators, policymakers, et cetera, what's their, re- what's their response when you voice these concerns? No one is talking about the contaminants in the bottom of the lake. They act like it, it doesn't exist and that more water is needed on the top. Um, but in as, 
you know, this water is shipped, you know, more than 500 miles to Southern California. It goes through the Bay Delta area and into the aqueduct and sent all the way down to um, Los Angeles and, and San Diego. And in the meanwhile, there's no efforts for San Diego and Los Angeles to start capturing their own water. I don't know why that is. Now, other tribes in Northern California, in addition to yourselves, how are they impacted? Oh, the Trinity, <clears throat> the Trinity Dam impact is impacted on the Trinity River that's supposed to go out to the ocean through Hoopa Valley. That water, a lot of it is shipped over to our side into the Sacramento River. So the impacts are great for this um, area that we're in for salmon, because that also affects the salmon runs on the Trinity and, and maybe even the Klamath. When they draw down from the Trinity Lake uh, to feed in inappropriate times, that's one of the problems is that um, salmon need water at certain times for spawning and for um, foraging up the river. And the farmers evidently are growing crops that need water at the same time. We're speaking now with Chief Kaleen Sisk of the Winnemem Wintu tribe, and she's explaining an issue there that the tribe faces with regard to a project, a proposed project to raise the water level in the Shasta Dam and how it will impact not only their ecology, but also their culture. Anybody with a question, anybody who has any knowledge of uh, hydroelectric projects and how they can impact tribal communities, we'd sure love to hear from you. 1-800-996-2848. The new independent film, Fry Bread Face and Me, is a coming-of-age story set on the Navajo Nation. There's a lot of Native talent on both sides of the camera. It's set to premiere at the upcoming South by Southwest Festival. We'll hear from the creators and actors in the film on the next Native America Calling. If you are age 45 years or older, it may be time to talk with a healthcare professional about colon cancer screening. Medicare, Medicaid, and the Marketplace have you covered. For more information, visit healthcare.gov or call 800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're focusing on the effects of the Shasta Dam on tribes in Northern California, especially the Winnemem Wintu tribe. A new podcast, A Prayer for Salmon, tells the story of the tribe's connection to the land and wildlife. If you have a question or comment, join our conversation at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. I'd like to bring in our second guest now, Judy Silber, a reporter for the podcast series. Judy, what led you to this story about the Winnemem Wintu? Yeah, so um, what led me to the story is I was sort of hunting around for stories. I was interested in water and the connection to spirituality. And someone referred me to the Winnemem Wintu. 
And so I talked with two tribal members, had an extensive conversation by phone, and they said, hey, you know, you should come out to our Run for Salmon ceremony, um, which was in September. This was September of 2017. And so that year, this Run for Salmon is a two-week ceremony. At that time, it was going from the Bay Area all the way up to the McLeod River, which is a 300-mile journey. And participants run, walk, bike, boat, um, paddle. And so um, the first couple days, well, sorry, the first couple of days is just is walking. And so I went out and did the walking portion of the run um, and just immediately was really taken, um, taken by um, on several levels. You know, as a reporter, I'm always taken by story. <laughs> you know, like I'm always impressed by good stories. And I knew like right away, oh, my reporter instincts just kicked in right away. Like this is a great story, <laughs> right? You have a um, you have a non-recognized tribe who is fighting for salmon, fighting for their rights, fighting for justice. And they're, um, you know, they faced incredible hardship and are also incredibly resilient. And so I just knew right away, okay, story-wise, this is great. And then just the people and the people really impressed me. I was really just taken by how, how strong their convictions are and sort of how righteous their convictions are. And I just wanted to learn and know more. And so we almost immediately started talking about a podcast. Um, and I wrote a grant, actually got the grant, <laughs> and then started my reporting. Wonderful, wonderful. Let's go ahead and hear now from uh, another one of the collaborators on this podcast series, um, Dr. Lila June. And Lila, I know you're traveling right now. I think you're in an airport, but I really appreciate you being able to join us today. And tell us more about your connection to the Winnemum Wintu people and this podcast. Well, um, it's hard to believe it was about 12 years ago <laughs> that I um, approached uh, Colleen at a fundraiser in Berkeley. Uh, at the time, I was a junior at Stanford University, and I wanted to do an honors thesis um, you know, report. And I remember praying to the creator. I said, okay, creator, can you help me, you know, do some research that's not just going to sit on a shelf and no one will ever read it. <laughs> um, can you help me do a research report that's actually going to help, going to effectuate change? Um, and then someone sent me a video of, of Colleen speaking in front of the Sacramento Capitol. And my whole body just reverberated. I said, oh, there it is. That's where I'm doing my, uh, my research project, I think, if they'll let me. <clears throat> so I approached her and I said, hey, I'm, a, I'm just a scraggly Navajo, but I, I want to help. I'm <laughs> just kidding. But <laughs> I, I, offered her a, I offered her a barrette, a beaded barrette of a dragonfly. And I said, well, you know, the dragonfly, their eggs are in the water and then they hatch and they arise out of the water. And I'm hoping that, you know, this is a metaphor for us to arise out of these the waters of this of this reservoir of this dam and uh, she said yep let's do it so then I got to live with the Winnemum on and off for about two years wrote a 50-page report on the network of their sacred sites their altitudes or, you know which ones would be flooded by how much feet um, I also did some anthropological work on what each sacred site means um, and we really just created a map. We mapped out the whole network of sacred sites, and we concluded that over 50 sacred sites would be flooded or otherwise affected by the raising of the Shasta Dam. 
Now, Dr. June, how similar are, are these issues with regard to this this fight, this environmental fight of the Winnemum Wintu and other environmental issues that you're familiar with? Well, <clears throat> it, <laughs> I think as a native person, there's always um, there's always the, the the company, you know, the CEO, the greed that uh, sees the the living earth as a object to be bought and sold rather than a living, breathing mother to be honored and respected. Um, they they want to be the masters of nature rather than the children of nature. Um, and so I think it's just that paradigm that when Europeans were in 2000 years of warfare, they got really messed up. You know, they got a lot of trauma and they were, you know, having a really open dog eat dog warfare for 2000 years. They start to want to hoard everything and, and amass wealth. And, and it becomes normalized through this thing called the company. It becomes normalized through this thing called business. It becomes normalized through this thing called profit maximization. And all of that, is the same old story of folks doing this when our paradigm as native people is closer to reality where we recognize we're in a sacred place. This whole earth is sacred and we are sacred. And so we have to act sacred, but to the businessman, you have a hard time explaining what that word sacred even means. Now, Dr. June, in the podcast, uh, we learned that the tribe is ignored, not recognized by those who have power in the Shasta Dam issue. And earlier we heard Chief Sisk and she um, you know, alluded to those same issues. Why is that? Why aren't more people paying attention to what this research as well as Chief Sisk and, and others are trying to say? Well, I actually think Chief Sisk, and correct me if I'm wrong, but has been very successful in staving off the dam raise. I mean, 12 years ago, they were doing EIS reports, environmental impact statements. So they haven't been able to do it in 12 years. And I honestly feel like a lot of that has to do with um, Chief Colleen and her nation who have done the war dance at the dam and said no. And that war dance was so, um, it's not just important from a media standpoint, but spiritually it reverberated throughout the earth and, and the and the universe, I think, and, and people came to their sides, including myself, because of that war dance. And so I think it's very, um, these dances are very important. They're not just dances. They can, they can alter things. They can um, explain to the creator what we're trying to do, and, and creator can send help. Um, and so I, I think Chief Kelly has been incredibly successful in a number of uh, fronts, communicating her people's struggle, um, and actually, my report has been read uh, many, many, many times, and is even used in the court systems, and in t they, they hand it off to officials. And uh, part of me wonders if the reason it's not even built right now is because of our efforts. Um, if we, if we, ha if we didn't exist, if Chief Kelly didn't exist, if I didn't exist, if that that network didn't exist, I I have a suspicion the dam would already be built by now. Let's go to the phones. We have Venetia listening on station KNBA in Alaska. Venetia, you're on Native America Calling. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, Venetia, loud and clear. Okay, thanks. Less than 3% of the world's water is actually fresh, and less than 1.2% is actually potable, drinkable. Hats off to our water protectors. Um, that's all. 
All right, Venetia, really appreciate that call and a little bit of statistics as well to back it up. And I'd like to go back and pivot to to Chief Sisk. And so, um, according to Doctor Doctor June, you folks have been really successful, uh, Chief Sisk. So I do want to ask you though, what is the status now? I mean. The proposed project is to raise the dam about 18 and a half feet. Um, what's it going to take to just completely quash that project so you no longer have to worry about this issue, or is that possible? You know what? I think that it is possible, especially with um, Secretary Deb Holland in office right now. She can, she could change the the path of what President Trump had had laid the work for you know right now i think california is making their last ditch effort in a bill uh to incorporate all of the things that trump left in place for them to try and do another water project which is pretty much you know it's the same old dead horse and they're beating it trying to make it wake up and and do something but deb holland and the the new sciences that are out there now could actually make it so that we don't have to do this fight anymore. You know, this this fight is since 2000, um, when they first started talking about raising Shasta Dam. We did that war dance in 2004 to try and stop it in its tracks. And so far, you know, like Lila has said, is that uh, it has happened that way. It is. It is unfolding like that. We have called in the water spirits to help us, and the water spirits don't like all of that water sitting on top of all those sacred places either. And so that's that's kind of where um, I see it is that people people could change it, you know, as they know more about what it means to raise Shasta Dam. We're not just talking about water in Shasta Dam. We're talking about poisonous uh, contents building up in the bottom of it, possibly even um, breaking the dam at some point, and then all of that's going to go downriver. What are you going to do? Chief Sisk, another layer to this story today is uh, your people, the Winnemem Wintu people, um, no longer have federal recognition. You had it at one time uh, more than 30 years ago but you no longer do. How does that factor into the struggle? Oh, that, as long as the government doesn't have to acknowledge, they don't have to, um, you know, we're not eligible for all of the acts of Congress that help tribes. And so we have to come from this other place, a traditional place, a spiritual place that says, we don't really need to be on that list to be Winnemum Wintu people. We don't need the BIA to put us on a list that says we're tribal because we already are. And we have been all this time. We've never needed that list to exist. We already are. We don't need to apply as if we're just coming together and asking the government to recognize our existence. You know, if they don't know that already, then, you know, we, we're not applying. We have no intent to apply for recognition. That's what my Graham said, and so that's what we're sticking to. Now, Chief Sisk, I, I, I can certainly uh, admire 
uh, your perseverance and your pride uh, in not needing a stamp of approval by the federal government. But some people and some native people might say, but look, if you had federal recognition, you might be able to be more effective in some of this fight that you're facing. What's your response to that? Yeah, we might be because we might be able to set at some of the tables that federally recognized tribes could set at. But a lot of those tribes are not at those tables because they are federally recognized. And so, you know, in California, people have been applying for recognition since 1980. No one in California has received recognition through that process. Five of those tribes have been denied recognition. So what is the positive stamp on that? Those tribes are spending millions of dollars to do that. Yeah. You're right. There certainly is a lot of money at stake for sure. And uh, it really does. I really appreciate your perspective here. Uh, some really, really valuable insights. That is uh, Chief Colleen Sisk with the Winnemem Wintu. And I'd like to go ahead and pivot back to our podcast reporter, Judy Silber. And uh, Judy, this idea to do the podcast, uh, all these different chapters, these episodes that have been created, what have you learned along the way? Um, so much. <laughs> um, it's hard to sum it all up. Um, but so I guess for me, there's been a couple of really significant um, learnings. One is that the fight is real. You know, the fight that Chief Colleen and the rest of her tribe have had to go through to to gain any sort of recognition, um, meaning to be able to sit at the table, to talk about their fish, to talk about their river, like that is real. It is it has not been easy. There is, you know, they've made they've made um, inroads, as Lila has said, and not just um, that the dam has been stopped, but also it's concerning their salmon. Um, but the fight to get there has been very, very difficult. And just sort of being an observer of that was very enlightening for me, seeing what it's like to go up against the federal government um, and just, you know, <laughs> you, heard that you have a tiny tribe going up against the federal government, and, and that's a big deal. The second sort of big enlightening part for me was, you know, I, I was born in California. I grew up here. You know, I consider this my state. And yet I feel like I didn't really know it until I did this podcast. I learned that the geography of this state has literally been changed because of water. Um, in the 1940s, when Shasta Dam was built, the Central Valley Project was constructed. And its whole purpose was to bring, was to move water from north to south. So in other words, to move it from a place that was relatively water rich to a place that was very much water poor. And that moving of water has literally changed the landscape of the state. You've had, you know, you had water that was uh, dredged in places, you know, marshland was taken away, grasslands were taken away, agriculture was put in place of, um, you know, well, of this marshland and grassland. And so now, you know, now you look out, you know, like driving, when you, I've done a lot of driving between north and south. And when you drive, you look out and you see, you know, sort of like square plots of agricultural land. Well, all of that used to be valley that was, you know, full of natural habitat. All of that is gone. Um, and yeah, and then in addition to that, we, you know, where we used to be a salmon, uh, I've heard Chief Kellyanne talk a lot about how we used to be a salmon state, how we still could be a salmon state. And what I've learned from my reporting is that is very much real, <laughs> that we very much used to be a salmon state. 
in the Sacramento-San Joaquin River uh, watershed, you had one to two million salmon, adult salmon migrating up every year. We're down to about a tenth of that. Um, and, you know, and I've talked to fisheries biologists as well as um, Chief Kellyn who say, you know, we could still be a salmon state. We have the natural infrastructure to be that. There are only a few states in the country who can, who can do that. Um, and we are one of them. And yet we are, um, you know, we're abusing this resource that we have. Judy Silber is the executive editor of the Spiritual Edge and reporter for the A Prayer for Salmon podcast series. If you'd like to call into the show today, what are you waiting for? Our phone lines are open, 1-800-996-2848. If you know anything about the Shasta Dam project, uh, if you yourself come from a community in which salmon play an integral role, not only in the culture, but also the economy, we'd sure like to hear your perspective as well. 1-800-996-2848. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Support from the Self-Governance Communication and Education Tribal Consortium, presenting the 2023 Tribal Self-Governance Conference at the River Spirit Resort starting June 26th. Registration closes June 23rd at tribalselfgov.org. Support by the American Indian College Fund, providing millions of dollars of scholarships to Native students every year. Applications are accepted through May 31st at collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about the Winnemum Wintus tribe and their fight against the expansion of the Shasta Dam in California. A podcast series called A Prayer for Salmon explores the issues with the dam and the tribe's fight to halt the expansion. There's still time to join us. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That number again, 1-800-996-2848, or just 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's hear another excerpt from the podcast. This is a march to raise awareness about the tribe's plight as it relates to the dam, and we hear from another member of the tribe. Back on the run for salmon, we walk through nicely manicured neighborhoods. With their footsteps, the walkers want to wake people up to the plight of salmon and to raise awareness about threats to water and their habitat. Here's how Michael Preston puts it. It feels like I'm doing my, my purpose in life. You know, this is my job as a dancer and as a, as a Winnemum Wintu man and human being um, to speak up for salmon and water and the land and indigenous ways, indigenous life ways and, and the spirituality of it all and speak up on behalf of all that and the best we can anyways. To bring the salmon back, Michael says the Winnemum Wintu need a lot of help. We need everything's help. We need the salmon's help, we need the birds' help, we need the trees' help, we need the rain's help, we need the wind's help, we need Mother Earth's help, we need the fire's help, everything, basically, because that's the, the time of, that's the time right now. The indigenous people have been saying that for a long time, not just us, but around the world, you know, but about what time it is, and it's not looking very great, and that's not a non-optimistic point of view. We are very optimistic. That's why we're doing this. He's optimistic, but Chinook salmon in this watershed are struggling. 
Scientists estimate the number of adults that return to spawn is one-tenth or less than what it was historically. That's an excerpt from the podcast, A Prayer for Salmon. Our next guest is joining us from Hoopa, California, Joseph Orozco. Joseph, uh, thanks for your patience. Appreciate you joining us. Tell us more about how you got involved with the podcast. Well, I got involved with the podcast. Um, I, I've known the story and that the run for salmon had been taking place. And um, I got a call from Judy, wanting to know if I would want to be involved in the production of that. And she sent me the outline, and I said, my gosh, this is a big story. And I at the time was the full-time manager of the Hoopa Tribal Radio Station, and I only had weekends. And she, this, this outline demanded far more than weekend work. So I had to uh, say, no, thank you very much, very honored. And she invited me to be a member of the uh, advisory. And I thought, well, gee, that's really good because that's the other part thing I like to do. I like to network and I like to learn things and, and I'm, very much like for the long-form production of what this involved. So I said, yeah, throw me in there and I'll, I'll do what I can. So here I am. And here you are. Well, Joseph, tell us more about the insights that you bring to the project as a cultural advisor. Well, I, it's just like our uh, woman spiritual leader had said, Melody George Moore, all tribes have water issues. And that goes, yeah, absolutely, because we all were very in tune with nature. And where do you get your water but from the river? So we lived along the river. When they start damming the rivers, then, yes, we lose our land base. And we lose traditional sites. We lose a lot. And then everybody loses. Eventually, the, the story... as being told about the Winnemum is is life. It's 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 life that the result of those who want to control land. And I'm when I heard about this and start learning more about this, I was reminded of an old book that I had picked up a long time ago called The King of California, the story of J. G. Boswell, who's came to California and saw all this land area and pictured agriculture. And that's what he developed. And that's what he designed. And lo and behold, here we are in this big water war. And uh, I think the efforts of the Winnemum is an outstanding win. It's still a struggle, but they are winning battles. And Who's going to win the war? We're going to win the war because the other side is losing a lot of resources, and they're well, they're losing the, the biggest resource of all, the water supply. They're just draining it away. Um, so uh, I'm I'm very proud of this production. I'm very proud to be a part of it, um, and I feel that if we had more people work on this, on issues like this for every tribe, because as our spiritual leader said, every tribe has water issues, and we've got to 
stand up and have that recognized because our water issues are their water issues. So things will have to change. Joseph, you've been in radio a long time. I'd like to ask you, how is this podcast different from others you've heard, especially Native ones on similar types of environmental issues? Oh, gee, this one, this one just hits home. This one, uh, you've got all the elements in it. You've, you've got the spirituality and you've got the voices of the people and they're talking about, like I just said, that the, one of the most sacred resources we have. Uh, actually, it's an asset. It's not a resource. That's, that's what we have to start calling. These sort of our assets. It's part of our life. You can't live without water. You know, what, 70% of your body is water. So without it, what do you got? So this story has so much, it, it has a whole history of uh, how California was developed from when it was the first legislative act of the state legislature was to put a bounty on native heads and to wait by the time america came to the west they had already had fought all of these other people who were trying to maintain their home base and they said huh, don't do that again don't try this treaty stuff again and they just came in to wipe us out uh, that was their answer and it was a harsh reality and the people of us today we are the descendants of the two percent of the population that survived that so it's an upward struggle and i think we're doing good i just i'm, I'm really glad that you're carrying the story because it means a lot to a lot of people and hopefully uh, other tribes will step forward and, and make these efforts Joseph, are, are cultural advisors such as yourself always included in podcast projects like this? Uh, that I can't answer. <laughs> I would hope so. I, I know that we've done, uh, I've been part of a story where we got a California Humanities grant and you're supposed to have scholars, but the humanities department says uh, they considered elder scholars. So yes, we've, we've, I would venture to say that a lot of cultural information has come from our elders who are allowed to be part of the advisory teams. Let me pivot back to Judy Silber, podcast reporter. Judy, um, same question. Cultural advisors such as Joseph, are, is it a prerequisite for podcast projects like this? No, it's it's definitely not a prerequisite. And Joseph Joseph is right about you know California Humanities grants have a um, have a requirement that you have advisors. Um, and I know that our we we actually want a Cal Humanities grant as well as part of this project. And you know they they vetted us to make sure that we really had a connection with the tribe. Um, but in general, no. I mean we it was something that I had to think pretty hard about because I felt like it was going against sort of the um, the normal way of doing things in radio and in podcast, which is journalists are, and not just, sorry, not just radio, but sort of journalism in general, which is journalists are independent. They're independent from their sources. They want to be collecting material, but not be biased in that material. And so something like an advisory committee, I mean, I was asked by people like, well, do you feel like 
this is going to bias you because you're asking for input from people who, you know, are close to the story. We included Michael Preston, whom um, you heard as, as one of the excerpts. Um, he was the person who was saying, we need everything's help. He was part of our advisory committee and he is Winamum Wintu. He is Chief Kelly and Sisk's son. And yet we, you know, we made a deliberate decision. We're going to include him on the advisory committee because we want his input. We want people who are close to the story to guide us. And, you know, I on a personal level, I just wanted to make sure I did things right. Like it was mm -hmm. really important to me to do things right and to be working with the people that the story was impacting, you know, that the story was about. It was really important. And, you know, you know, to say the obvious, Indigenous communities are, it's, it's sensitive communities. They have not been done right by in the past. And I wanted, you know, I wanted to make sure we were doing it right. Judy, in, in Chapter 4 of the podcast, which is titled It's Illegal, there's a moment in which you push back against this overarching narrative of stopping the Shasta Dam project, bringing back the salmon. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so the moment was with, uh, the Northern California area manager for the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation. His name is Don Bader. And we did an interview with him at the Bureau of Reclamation office in Sacramento. And, you know, a lot of the interview, we were just asking him about the Shasta Dam proposal and what it would do and why they wanted it. And and then we got around to, like, who it would impact. Um, and the Winnemo went to our... our were our one group. Um, and he was presenting things in a very sort of matter of fact way saying, well, we will, we will follow our procedures. Um, you know, we will follow sort of the letter of the law. And I pushed back saying, you know, what about sort of the, the, the moral implications of this? What about thinking about this as a people who has suffered through genocide and land displacement, including that um, that was created from Shasta Dam itself, uh, and what obligation do we have towards them? And he basically had no comment. <laughs> you know, he was just like, uh, he said, you know, literally, I will go back to my my statement, which is, we will we will follow the law. And so, you know, he was doing his job as a bureaucrat. Um, but you know, it was a it was even to be there. It was a little disheartening because it was like, you know, people make the laws and people follow the laws and people enforce the laws. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're not sensitive to the people that you're impacting, then you're not, you're not really considering their needs. You're not considering what is going to happen to them. You're not paying attention to what they're saying. And in fact, you know, there were no mitigations proposed in the proposal, in the I don't know how many thousands of long pages of okay. the environmental impact statement. You know, there's no mitigations proposed for um, for what the Winnemum Winter said would happen. I'd like to go back to Chief Sisk and uh, Chief Sisk. The recording for this podcast happened about five years ago, so we are going to have to wrap up the show in a couple more minutes. But can you give us an update in terms of? where you folks are, the impact of the podcast, as well as just any updates with regard to, to fighting this dam project? Yeah, well, first I think that um, the, the release of the podcast is perfect because of the climate changing um, issues that are happening, 
as well as what's happening with the whales in the oceans and sea level rise, as well as the temperatures of the rivers. And that might be catching more people's attention nowadays than before. It's like most people in California just worry about if they're getting good water coming out of their tap. They're not worried about what that river looks like. If the river is healthy, you know, what the, the salmon bring, you know, and we're, we're putting out that information about, you know, salmon travel all the way to the ocean. They collect all of the ocean sediment or in all of the ocean um, ingredients and they come up the river and they share those uh, things with the river. But when they go back out, you know, salmon only do things one time. And that's what's so incredible about them is that why we follow them is because they follow the creator. But when they go out to the ocean, they also take the volcanic particles with them that the ocean needs. And people don't know these things. You know, I don't know what happened to science, but rivers live because salmon are in them. And rivers live, which means groundwater systems, work better when salmon are filtrating that water, that riverbed. When they dig their nests, they loosen all the sediments and that goes down river. And then the transfer between the river and, and the aquifers can happen. But until that, you know, people realize that, you know, there was no mistake when the creator put the salmon in the river systems. And there's no mistake by having fresh water in the delta, you know, and that whole system was set up in its own well-balanced way, maybe not according to settlers and how they wanted things and how they did things and how they messed up things now. But we have to try to strive to get back there, you know, and, and uh, we're facing things that tribes have never faced before. And so we're calling on all of our spiritual and, and medicine people to help guide us through these kinds of things because they never were before back in history. We don't have songs uh, in place for the things that we're going to be facing coming soon, just like COVID. You know, we didn't have medicines for that, but a lot of people got together and, and now we do. Chief Sisk, I'm sorry, we're going to have to wrap up the show. We're out of time, but I want to thank you as well as Judy Silber, Joseph Orozco, and Dr. Lila June for an enlightening discussion on the Winnemem Wintu and the podcast series, A Prayer for Salmon. Join us tomorrow for a look at a new film by director Billy Luther, Frybread Face and Me. I'm Sean Spruce. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian country has put its trust in Amerind providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Smoking gave me COPD, which makes it harder and harder for me to breathe. I have a tip for you. If your doctor gives you five years to live, spend it talking with your grandchildren. Explain to them that your grandpa's not gonna be around anymore to share his wisdom and his love. I haven't figured out how to do that yet. I'm running out of time. 
COPD makes it harder and harder to breathe and can cause death. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanek Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.